0: Well, thanks for joining today, guys. Looking forward to spending the next hour or so with you uh, regarding sexuality, uh, our character, how we as leaders um, live our lives with good character uh, under the topic of sex and sexuality. What a great topic! So, uh, yeah, the awkward, like, can I cheer for that? Can I cheer that sex is a good topic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to let you know a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm married. I've been married for 12 and a half years. This summer will be 13 years. I'll be married to my wife, Rebecca. We have two boys, a four-year-old named Seth and a two-year-old named Simeon. And uh, they are awesome. Full of energy, full of passion, full of love. Uh, our little family is uh, my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, there's nobody that I love more. There's nobody that frustrates me more, (laughs) Uh, there's nobody that makes me happier, nobody that makes me sadder, all of that combined uh, into one little family dynamic, it's the best, my favorite people ever. And we're going to talk about uh, not just family, although family will play into it today, uh, but we'll talk about sexuality, uh, the idea of sexual identities, we're going to talk about sex, And we're going to do this at a Bible college. How awkward is that, eh? Wow! (laughs) It's something that we think it might be like this really boring conversation or lecture of like, sex is seriously only for the proliferation of mankind and multiplying (laughs) humans and nothing else. Uh, Maybe too often we have these stereotypes of what the conversation about sex and sexuality will be in a context like this, Uh, I hope to challenge that a little bit for you. So uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and um, now I've been at this campus for uh, just about three years now. So I've been speaking with teenagers, I've been speaking with young adults for um, well over a decade now in this topic of sex and sexuality. And uh, I have a... Conviction and belief in my own life that we have taken the word sexuality and we have shortened it down to the three letters of sex. So we say we're going to have a sex talk and then we keep it to this, this shortened version of what God really fully intended the concept of sexuality to be. That we think it's just this shortened version of a sex talk, of just a physical... Connection between one person and another, and what's right and what's wrong. And by doing so, we completely miss the whole purpose and the whole reason why sex exists, why God created us as sexual beings, why He created us with interests of intimacy, longings to be loved, longings to love, right? We have these emotions and these feelings inside of us to find connection to find partnership, to find satisfaction inside of us, to find intimacy. Uh, And when we bring it down to just this sex talk, we we miss out on God's picture. And when we miss out and we confine it to just this physical thing, um, we tend to start throwing the what is right and what is wrong answer to just that physical action. And I don't think those are the answers that God even wants us to look at. Of this is right, this is wrong. Um, often we can think the stereotype is, thou shall not, thou shall not. And we look at sexuality and we look at sex as a negative thing. Something that's wrong. That you should not do. Don't do it. It's wrong. It's bad. And yet, in my understanding, in my conviction, is it's a gift from God. That he's given us. And so how could we call it bad? Now I think it can be misused. And that it can wreak havoc and hurt and regret. Uh, so we want to talk about not just this sex talk. But we want to talk about sexuality. is the gift that God has given us. He's given mankind. And so that's what we're talking about today. Character. Whoops, I was already on that slide. Character and sexuality. And here's our goal today under the context of character. Is we want to regret-proof your marriage beds and your death beds. is my hope through our conversation today. We're not going to solve it, but I hope what it does is it builds the idea of we need to talk in the area of character. Yes, in leadership, but even just as human beings, as children of God, in the area of character. How we can regret-proof your marriage, your marriage beds, and your death beds. So you good? You with me? Mm-hmm. And then what we're gonna do following is we're gonna ask, I'll allow you guys to ask some questions, and we'll work through some things. And like I'm talking about no holds bar. Okay, um, I get to have some great conversations on this topic with lots of people, and. Uh, I'll, if you're to the point where you're not sure if you would like to publicly ask that question, I'll give you my number, you can text it in even, and we can have a Q&A uh, through texting, following. Good? Okay, great, awesome. So, um, as leaders, and as children of God, as Christians, right? we have this Regulation regarding sexuality that the Bible gives us. Does anybody know what that is? The regulation under under which condition can people, can Christians have sex? Uh, After marriage. After marriage. So, how about let's use the word in the context of marriage? So, in a commitment of marriage. So, after a wedding day, right? So, in the covenant and commitment of marriage is this kind of guideline that God has given us this gift of intimacy, this gift of love. But here's the thing. Uh, like Sexuality is everywhere, right? So we know that Scripture says it should just solely be in the context of a marriage relationship, but it is everywhere, right? Like we're talking... In the last, like, let's look at this. First of all, 1700 to the 1900s. Okay, it's called the Industrial (coughs) Revolution. So much change took place in that 200-year period. More took place there than all of recorded history preceding it. Now, in the last 30 years, with the proliferation of technology, in the last 30 years, more change has taken place globally in our society, in our cultures and contexts than all of recorded history combined in the last 30 years and a huge reason is technology right in regards to sexuality being everywhere it used to be something that you had to go find like you had to go out and find it whether if it was a relationship whether it was a person or whether if it was pornography you had to go out and find it you had to search for it and most often pay for it if it wasn't in the context of a relationship or marriage Then it moved towards where it was like, well, it was just there. You didn't have to go find it. It was just around. Today, it's coming at us now, right? Like it's fighting to get our attention. Sexuality is everywhere. We see it in movies. We see it in Netflix. Did you know that 36% of all of the World Wide Web traffic and data is pornographic websites? 36%. That's more... Traffic more data than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Pornographic websites. That's not including hookup sites, casual encounter sites, match.com, stuff like that. That's not including apps. Apps like Tinder. Apps, uh, uh, what are the other ones? Hinge is another one, right? There's a couple of them I got here. Um, <clears throat> OKCupid, Happen. On Tinder alone, do you know on Tinder alone, and you guys know what Tinder is, I'm assuming, right? It's this hookup, web, or hookup app, essentially, where you find people local um, to meet. That Tinder estimates that there's 1.6, uh, 1.6 billion swipes a day take place on the Tinder app alone. Isn't that staggering? There's stats that, of the 36% of the internet, that's pornographic websites. Um, in teenagers in America, 13 and 14-year-olds specific, uh, one out of three of them is to believe to be addicted to pornographic videos and streaming, watching up to 50 videos a week. And at one given moment, at any given time, it's estimated that 1.7 million videos, pornographic videos, are being streamed at any given moment. And so it's coming at us. Like it is it is fighting to get our attention. And so not just as leaders, but as human beings, as Christians, as children of God, how do we fight against this wave after wave of attack that's coming at us? How can we stand firm in our character? Great points that Kim made last night. Reflect all of what we're gonna talk about today. Starts in the small little things. And we're to stand firm against the attacks that's coming at us. And the thing that I wanna you to know, understand, right, those are some negative stats regarding pornography, regarding hookup sites and, and apps and stuff like that, and the negativity that we can find in the proliferation of, of technology and it's growing capacity of it. We can get so caught up to thinking that sex and sexuality is wrong. And we think, man, my feelings of wanting to be with somebody is bad. And we can think that. And we can think that our longing for intimacy is is frowned upon. And I want you to know that's not the case. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us that those are actually like, godly, given emotions and feelings. Used in the right context. Satisfied in the right context. It's actually one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And, the reason, and not just the act of, but sexuality in, in a whole. The reason why I think it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is because understanding sexuality in its whole, it's actually a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus. Which is weird to think, right? What? Sex and Jesus go together? Like, how does that work? Right? This gift that God gave to man and in Genesis, right? The context in which he gives it. That a man would leave his mother and his father and be united with his wife. And the two shall become one. It's this picture of this groom and this bridegroom coming together. Which is the gospel. It's the picture of Jesus coming after his bride. His church, leaving his father so that he may be with his bride. Now again, one day he will return, second time round. And Revelations talks all about it being a wedding and a banquet. That the bride and the bridegroom will be together again. So it's a picture of the gospel of what sex and sexuality is. And so often we think, oh man... All this talk about sex outside of marriage and what we see on the internet and hear about what goes on in our circles of influences. We think it's bad and it's wrong and we shouldn't do it. There's an element of truth to that, but it's twisted to the true answer of what God wants you to hear today. Because let's be honest, we all have sex drives. And the problem isn't having a sex drive. The problem is letting sex drive is the problem when sex becomes the entity the focus the primary reason the primary thing that you're going after that's when it becomes a, pro- a problem not that a sex drive is a bad thing it's when we allow sex to drive us to make the decisions for us that's when we fall into places where we can hurt our character That's when we can fall into places where we make decisions we may possibly regret later in life. And I know um, with working with youth ministry for 10 years, um, the stats and the reality of what uh, it means being in a group of this size and who have had experiences, whether it be physical with another person or online with pornography or multiple other opportunities, um, there's a high percent that many have. And I'm not here to look around and just to cast shame. That's not what I'm talking about. We can't focus on the past. We can't change the past. But we can work hard to regret-proof our marriage beds and our death beds. We can work hard at that. We have hope in that. And I think the best way to do it is by having a conversation, is by openly talking about it. That we have to stop casting it to the side and saying, oh man, it's rampant, it's wild, it's crazy, we can't talk about it. Let's just ignore it. And if we ignore it, And if we don't look, it'll go away. And we've tried to do that for the last how many years? And guess what? It hasn't worked! (laughs) It's actually gotten worse! It's gotten worse. Stats have actually plummeted. It's gotten worse. So we need to talk about it. We need to actually elevate sex and sexuality back to the position in which God originally intended it to be. So, we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture together. And out of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, I got it up here, says this, There is more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master... We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. So 1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 20. That's out of the Message Translation. And the reason why I went with the Message Translation, I don't usually preach out of it, uh, but because of the line, sex is more than mere skin on skin, is what landed it for me. We get so caught up thinking that sex is just this physical act. And our culture, right, looks at it as like, oh, it's just sex, right? Like, you you get hungry, you eat. You get in the mood, you go for it, right? (laughs) Like, that's just the way our culture looks at it. Uh, and I never grew up in the church. I never grew up in a church context. And so my family's culture dynamics was that. That's what I grew up in. And it wasn't until I gave my life to the Lord that I understood more what God's gift and purpose and intent of sex and sexuality really is. It's more than just mere skin on skin. So in this passage, so in this passage, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth is uh, an ancient world and a city that was roughly about the size of Abbotsford. About 100,000 people lived in the city of Corinth. And uh, it was a, in that time, that's a highly populated city. Rome was a million and Rome was like the Mecca at the time. And so 100,000 people, highly populated, uh, lots of people coming in, roads coming in and out, lots of trade, lots of travel. It was a place that people didn't really... Uh, grow up there, they moved there. They were never born there, they were they moved there, right? Uh, it was known also for its passion. It was young, professional people who were passionate, who were energetic, uh, and who were sexually charged. Uh, there's a city that we can think of in the U.S. Pacific, which is known as the place you go to for passionate experiences. Uh, Corinth was uh, known just like that. Uh, it actually is one of the places where there was the temple of worship for the god Aphrodite. Have you heard that goddess name before? Okay, So that is known as the sex goddess, Aphrodite. Uh, so we get the term Aphrodisiacs, right? You hear around Valentine's Day, strawberries, chocolate, stuff like that. Okay, That's where it all derives from. And this goddess, Aphrodite, there was this temple in the city of Corinth that was up on this bluff, up on this hillside that there were women who lived up on this temple area. And there was about a thousand prostitutes. They were known as prostitutes that lived up there. And during the day, they would survey the town. People would worship the goddess of Aphrodite. And then the, par- the prostitutes <coughs> would come down. And they would meet with men. And that was in the way that they were worshipping this god, goddess. And then they would go back up to the hill. Crazy, right? A thousand prostitutes. And we think, man, that's crazy. That's a lot. But is it really all that different than what we have today? There's well more than a thousand pornographic videos. A thousand pornographic websites. And the culture was, it's just normal. If you're hungry, you eat. If you get in the mood, you go for it. Right? Like Paul actually had to tell this this is wild. Paul actually had to tell the church in Corinth for people to not actually sleep with their father's wife. Now, not their mother. It would have been their stepmother. But he had to tell them. And they probably were like, what? Like, you can't? Like, they they were so far over on this side of it that he had to explain to them what sex and sexuality was. And so he went in there and he didn't say, this is wrong, don't do it, this is wrong, this is bad. And he didn't come in harping And getting angry and telling people to stop because... No, he explained exactly what it was. And he explained that sex is neither pagan or perverted. Because we kind of put it in those two categories, don't we? That it's either worldly or it's perverted. That sex is actually neither. It's it's God-given. Now it has been twisted and misused. But in and of itself... It's actually God-given. Sexuality is God-given. Therefore, it should be God-governed as well, is my belief. If God gave it, and he gave instructions around it, those instructions are probably pretty good, right? The creator of it. So I think of when you go to... Uh, if, if you you know, go to the hardware store and you pick up a chainsaw and you take the chainsaw out of the box, what is also inside the box? Instructions. Instructions. Because <laughs> if you just gave some random person a chainsaw who had never seen one before, they would probably hurt themselves, right? Lesson learned. Or, yeah, lesson learned. <laughs> right? Or, or hurt somebody else. It's like fire. Fire contained in its proper conduct, whether it's a a candle or an element or a campfire, is great. It produces heat and it's wonderful. Well, allow it outside of that conduit and it can wreak havoc and pain and hurt in people's lives. And so, uh, sexuality is God given and ought to be God-governed. And like Paul said in that scripture, that it's different. It's different than all others, right? Because it's not just mere skin on skin. There's so much more to it. The, 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 the physical side is not just a slave to the spiritual side. It's all-encompassing, all together. And I believe that your, your love life impacts all of your life. All of it. It's not just a hookup. It's not just a video. It's not just a moment. It's not just a text message that your love life impacts all of your life. So God's plan. like, What is God's plan? What's his plan for us? The purpose of it. So, sex is given to Adam, who was alone by himself. And God realized that there was no partner suitable for him. So he gave him a wife. The two shall become one. they will be united together as one. And Jesus later said, let no man separate. He quoted Genesis, uh, let no man separate. Paul, in our passage that we read, also quoted Genesis, that two shall become one. The purpose and intent of sex and sexuality is that when two people come together, that it is a commitment. It's actually a seal, a sign of their commitment that they've made to one another. This isn't just like five words. This isn't just physical. This is so much more to it. Have you heard of the um, chemical oxytocin? Anybody ever heard of oxytocin? Okay, so oxytocin is a chemical that is released into our bodies in certain times. In moments of affection, in moments of feeling, it's also known as the love drug, right? That feeling where someone shows interest in you, and you have all these, like, goosey bump feelings, and you feel like your blood is just, like, going through you, and it's all, like, loopy. It literally is. Like, it's actually happening, right? This oxytocin is being released into your brain and into your bloodstream, and it gives you these, like, lovey, wonderful feelings. It's actually a thing that God created intently and on purpose for us. So when a man and a woman are together and they're having a a passionate time together, oxytocin is released through both of their brains, into their bloodstream, throughout their bodies. And what it is, is it's a bonding mechanism that God has created in us. So that when a husband and a wife are together, that they're saying, I'm committed to you for the long haul. We're in this together. Our futures are going to be like this together the whole entire way. No matter what, I'm with you, and you're with me. There's only two other times in our lives that oxytocin is released to the same amount, doled out to the same amount, as that of of two people being together intimately. And it's when a baby is born, mother gives birth to her baby, and when she's breastfeeding. Men, we don't get anything else, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Women, you're lucky. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say you're lucky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But when a baby is born, that you know that motherly love? Like it's not just an idea, like it's a real thing that God has designed our bodies so that a mother and a baby would instantly bond together. And when a mother is breastfeeding their child, that there is this bond, this chemical reaction in both them that is happening that bonds them together. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing when a man and a woman, when a couple, when a married uh, couple are together. That bonding takes place. It's not just physical. It's more than that. It's mental. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's a gift that God has given mankind to show his love. Because we all have those desires and longings of intimacy. And God is giving us this gift, not so that that other person would be the person who satisfies me, and now my life is complete and everything is all good. If we elevate it to that, which I think our world has, we get to a dangerous place. We're elevated to a place so that sexuality reveals truly God's desire to be close and intimate with us. Oxytocin, it's a great thing. But used in its wrong context, danger can happen. So Adam, right, he was alone. God said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve, his wife, so they could be together. So they could bond, commit to one another. But when sex happens and that commitment isn't intended, that lifelong we're in it for the long haul, Right? That after the, the wedding vows, the promises, the oaths, the seal of the covenant, when that is not actually being taken place, when a physical act does happen, what happens is you lie to yourself. And you're lying to the other person. And we think that it's just skin on skin. But it's not. What happens is the thing that was given to cure us from loneliness, actually when it's misused, it leaves us lonelier than ever. And it hurts. And then what happens is like a sticky note. A sticky note that gets used over and over and over and over and over again. It loses its stickiness. And often people feel so lonely that if then all of a sudden a relationship does come about but yet they've abused this gift God has given them, they have a harder time actually getting into commitment. Have a harder time sticking. Because the thing that was given for a cure for loneliness was misused and it's caused for more loneliness for to being more lonely. It's a gift that God has given us. And as as leaders in this room, it's our responsibility to talk about sex and sexuality and what it really is. And to get rid of the fear, even the shame, because if we just keep hiding it all or hiding from it and not actually talking about it there won't be healing there, there, there won't be change we'll continue to go on the trajectory that we've seen our culture and society go into and so we as leaders need to talk about it we as leaders need to be open about it about our own faults experiences and victories because I believe that Jesus is one that heals I believe He can heal any past experience. I, can he- I believe He can redeem anything. And he, he creates us new. He makes us new. But when that decision is, is made, when we confess and we're healed and made new, then now in the sense of, of character, we have the opportunity to not let sex drive. We can talk about it. And elevate it to this place of respect and honor. That it ought to be, and give that same picture like Paul did to others. But like I think of like uh, ha, this is a terrible analogy, so I'm going to use it anyways. Um, <laughs> like things that you like love so much and respect so much that you got to care with such like like care, right? Like like fine china, right? You can't you can't break it. You got to hold it with such delicacy. Um, Grandparents. I don't like using grandparents in the context of sex, because that's gross. But, but grandparents, what do you do when you see your grandparents? You hug them a little bit lighter, but with so much love and compassion and care. Because you know how much they mean to you. And that concept of, of taking care of something that's very delicate is what I believe God desires us to look at sex and sexuality is to hold it with such delicacy with such respect and such honor uh, that I I then don't believe we'll misuse it I'm going to realize it's more than just mere skin on skin that it's spiritual, it's emotional it's mental, it's the whole thing we'll hold it at such a high regard and not misuse it so uh, one last thing Before we get into questions here, I believe we're capable of doing something in minutes that we could regret for decades. And I believe in the development of good character, we can fight against the thing that could happen in minutes. In the little thing, we could stand up and say no. We have the ability, we have the help. And you may think, oh, I've been in a place where I've been tempted and I just can't handle it. I just can't hold back on those urges, on those feelings. I can't do it. I believe we can. I believe that's the enemy telling you that you can't. I believe that's the enemy informing you that, no, you're not strong enough. When actually we are strong enough. We have the ability. We have the strength. And through people who can keep us accountable, through the Spirit who can empower us, We can, just like Daniel, with the food, say no, even in the littlest amount. I want to finish off with uh, one story, and then we'll get into some questions here. How are we for time? We're good. We've got about 22 minutes. 22 minutes. So, story of Jacob and Esau. Do you guys know the biblical story of Jacob and Esau? Yep. Okay. So, uh, the, Jacob and Esau were what? They were brothers. 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 They're, they're not just brothers, they were oh, yes. twins. Yes, they are the prophets. Good. They're, they were twins, even though they looked totally, totally different. Okay. So, this is found in Genesis. Okay, this is a biblical story. Uh, <clears throat> and who is the older brother? Does anybody know? Esau, Esau. good, right on, good for you guys So Esau was what, he was big and hairy Hairy. Yeah, Yeah, right on And Jacob was not, he was the one who rather would stay at home Be a little bit more cooking the meals, taking care of the house Uh, And then Esau was out uh, killing animals, okay And cutting down trees, and eating bark probably So anyways, uh, Esau is out in the field And he comes home, and who's at home? Jacob, and what is Jacob doing? Making soup. Making soup. He's making soup. He's making making stew. Mixing it up. And Esau comes in starving. Starving. And and so hungry. And he's like, Oh, Jacob, food, me, give. Right? And what does Jacob do? He says, "Mm, Not just no, he says, Give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. So Esau was the older brother. He had the birthright to the majority of the property. And all that was to be handed down to him. Okay? Jacob says, give me your birthright and I will give you this bowl of soup. Must be a really good bowl of soup. Must be a really good bowl of chowder. Yeah, seriously. Okay, so we're talking a bowl of soup over his entire birthright. Not just his own, but his children and his children's children. So hold on to this story. Later on in scripture, we get to Moses and he's standing in front of this burning bush and he hears this voice and the voice is from God and he calls up to Moses and Moses says, Who are you? And he says, I am. And he said, I am the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. Wait a second. Shouldn't it have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? Esau was the firstborn. Shouldn't it have been Esau? But it wasn't. It was Jacob. And Jacob was the one, through his lineage, began the whole entire tribes of Israel. That Esau, in a moment of hunger and a desire of a physical satisfaction, a physical gratification, he gave up his entire identity, in eternal satisfaction, in a moment of hunger and of temptation. And I don't think we understand that in those little moments of a meal, we heard about it last night at the table with Kim, and, Dan, and Daniel knew in that one meal, that one item of food, the difference that it would make. And Esau didn't understand that. The character needed and the self-control needed. That one bowl of soup ruined his entire future. His deathbed. And the generations of his family line to fall. Wow. That can be scary. God doesn't desire to scare us. He's just showing us how valuable sex and sexuality are. And you may think, well, that's food. Well, well, why food? Right? We're talking about sex, but actually in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, the author talks about being pure, not falling into sin, and he uses sexual sin, and then he actually quotes the story of Esau and Jacob. And do not fall into immorality like Esau did regarding the soup. Our character matters in the littlest things, in the littlest things. And I think the best way to fight up against those little things is to get people in your life and to talk about it. To understand what God's purpose is. That it's powerful. That it's pleasurable. That it's good. It's God-honoring when it's used properly. And that we highlight and celebrate what that is. So that when it's not it, that we actually don't have any craving or desire. You ever taste a bad bowl of soup? Right? You don't want that. It's not good that we would actually understand the difference of what is God-honorable and good and what is misused and no longer even desire for. It. And if those temptations come about, we know that if there's any righteous emotions and feelings and desires and passions of intimacy and longing, we would say, yeah, no, God actually has an answer for that. He's given me the ability and the power to wait for it until that moment. And then when that does happen, how good and glorious But that time, not just the physical encounter, but the relationship altogether will be. There will be no regrets on the wedding, on the marriage bed, and no regrets on the death bed. That's my encouragement to you guys. Now, I'd love to talk about some questions. If you would like to ask some questions and you feel confident enough to just throw them out, wonderful. Uh, Power to you, by all means. If you don't, uh, I can put up my, uh, cell phone number here, okay, great, there, any questions, or you can text in, okay, anybody feels comfortable though, please by all means. Go For it, we'll go for a couple minutes and then we'll let you go and break. I know it can be real awkward, can it <laughs> just talk about sex and then it's super silent? What do you do? <laughs> Where do you look? It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, um, so let's say, let's take like
1: an example of someone before salvation who was sexually active mm-hmm. with different people and then they come to God. Um, does God like redeem like that sexual morality, or is that
0: yeah, great question. So, I think of Paul in this situation where he's writing to the church in Corinth. These are new believers uh, that are in Corinth that were still acting out in their sexuality because that was the way of the culture. And he came into into there and said, Well, hold on a second, guys. This isn't how we're to do it. It's not just physical, right? It's more than mere skin on skin. It's spiritual, it's everything. Uh, So, absolutely, God can redeem. 100%, do I believe that God can redeem? Uh, He creates us new. That he can rewire our our guilt, our shame, to being that of conviction. And conviction is a good thing. Conviction actually can draw us closer to God. Shame and guilt and condemnation pushes us away from God. And so he actually brings it to a place of like, wow, I want to confess. I actually want to confess and repent because I know that he's going to renew me and, and, and call me. Well, Scripture says that Christ looks down at his church. His saved as pure, spotless, and without blemish. Aren't those great words? Pure, spotless, and without blemish. He looks at his church, his bride. So absolutely. Great question. Caleb. Someone I've asked before is what if it's what if it's with somebody that like I know I'm gonna marry? Or what if I mm-hmm. only am with one person and then we end mm-hmm. up getting married anyway? Great question. Yeah yeah, you know what um, I can understand why that thinking would come about uh, but my encouragement would be in that moment is uh, you owe it to yourself, to not like if, if this person really is the one the respect and the honor to give to that person into waiting is a better gift than going ahead and physically having sex um <clears throat> Because you also never know what's going to happen, right? Um, And and the way that God has given it uh, and governed it and and desires us to live within it, he knows what's best for us. He knows that it's when it's in the commitment, it's all good, when it's in the commitment and in the covenant, that it is the best. Whether it's still that same person prior to that commitment, you actually haven't given that oath. And so the, the bonding mechanism isn't a true promise because no oath has actually been given. Does that make sense? Someone say no? I can, I can go further on it. Good? Okay. okay.
1: Um, if someone had a history of struggling with pornography just in a culture that's so immersed, and mm-hmm. like you said, it's everywhere, yeah. what would be good strategies to avoid temptation? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. This, is, this is one that everybody needs to know. So imagine being like a new Christian in Corinth, right? Hanging out with all your buddies, sitting around, having a meal. And uh, it was cultural to like, afterwards, everybody gets up and we're all going to the bedroom together. Imagine being that like Christian now in that circle, right? To be like, uh, can we play like Ticket to Ride or something instead? Like, right? And like, what do you do? What do you do when it's coming at you constantly? So um, scripture says, now hear me out fully on this one. Scripture says that if your right hand is causing you to stumble, that you should what? Cut it off. Cut it off. Now I'm not telling anybody to cut their hands off, okay? okay? <laughs> it's not about the practice, it's about the principle. So if this thing is causing you to fall into temptation... Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the apps that are on the phone. Like, it, Are those apps more important to you than your relationship with God? Are they more important to you than your relationship with your future spouse? And the regret that could be in that marriage, in that relationship? Get rid of it. Put up blocks. Put up things on your computer. Allow your computer to be viewed by your parents. I think it's a great thing. You're like, whoa, what? <laughs> Hold the phone. Why can't I can't do that. I actually think that's a great thing. Or a few friends, or your youth pastor, or your youth leader. Like, sever the thing that can actually cause temptation into your life. Your relationship with Jesus is way greater than, uh, than something that you might be addicted to. Um, did, I, did I say the stat, right? American teenagers, on average, eight hours a day. Eight hours a day on their phone. On average, pick it up 150 times a day. That's about every six minutes. And I wonder about you. You can ask yourself. That means potentially in this meeting, people, somebody's picked it up, uh, what is it, ten times in this meeting. Have you looked at your phone maybe around eight times since you've been in here? And if so, you're the average. I know, it's scary. So we, it, it's a hard mountain to climb, but we gotta we got to take it to the extreme. So um, get blockers, get rid of it. Um, Get people in your life that you're accountable to. Um, The story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, And uh, he's got Potiphar's wife coming after him uh, all the time. Was it Potiphar's wife? Right? Yeah. Potiphar's wife. Thank you. And uh, um, she's like all interested in him. And then when it was like the two of them together in one room, what did Joseph do? She's trying to take off his like clothes. He like... Gets up, and he like literally runs out of the room <laughs> as this woman is coming after him. And so I always said, like in a moment of temptation, the best thing to do is to get up and get out. Wherever you're at, whatever room, whatever environment you're in, just get up and get out of it. Run like crazy. Does that help at all? And get people in your life. Get people in your life. Uh, just to add on to it, I had a coffee with a friend a couple months ago, and it's not about telling like, as many people as possible. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yes. You, like confession's a good thing, It's great. But like this guy told me, like, yeah, I told like 80 people about this addiction. And I was like, dude. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> is like it's not about telling as many people as possible. It's about telling you who's strategic. Yeah. Who is strategic true. in your life that can step into you and lead you and guide you through these struggles and help you. Yeah. That's very good. So can I elaborate on that? Two people. Your pastor and one other, maybe three. Uh, And here's the thing. So often in confession, we actually highlight the sin. when we shouldn't be highlighting the sin. We're confessing the sin and then we're highlighting what Jesus has done for us to redeem us from that sin. Right? And so often we think, oh yeah, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And then Jesus came. "Hold, Hold the phone. No, no, no. Yeah, I was broken and sinful and wretched, but oh my goodness, what has Jesus done? He has saved me and sanctified me and made me new. We need to highlight that, not our sin. Okay? I have Sorry. A oh. No, go ahead first. Okay,
1: Um, I have a question that kind of goes back to the, like if you're with one person. Um, Like, one second, I'm going to try to word yep. this. I tried in my head. Yep. Um, Like, what if like... I don't, I don't know how to word this. Like, if you've already made the commitment to somebody, um, like, what counts is, like... I find it's in, it's weird putting it in the, like, guidelines of, like, you've signed the marriage contract. Because, like, what if you and your partner have already, like, made the commitment to yourselves and God in a moment where you're, like, this is our commitment to one another, and you don't have a big fancy marriage ceremony or you haven't, like, signed the, you know, like, marriage certificate. Like, I, I just find that... Leaving it to like the eyes of the law kind of makes it. I don't know. It just like makes it weird Absolutely. The idea of it for me. Because right. sure. then it's less about God. It's less about. It's more about. Well, now the now the law sees us as married, so now I guess we can have sex. Mm-hmm. Kind of
0: mm-hmm. thing. So you're, I understand the different differentiating between law mm-hmm. and, and um, like the commitment and covenant scripturally. There, there is a uniqueness. There is a difference mm-hmm. between the two. Um, But if you want to do the one regarding um, scripture, why wouldn't you want to do the one regarding to the law? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? If it's a true, honest promise and commitment, that if there's something that I got to, an obstacle I got to get around to get to that point, I'm committed to you. I'll do whatever. And so if we're restricting and holding back on one, I don't think there's a true, honest commitment that you're willing to do properly on the spiritual side of it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. What would you say is like the difference then between like, the God commitment and
0: the... the well, God the God commitment is, is an oath that you're making to a person, yeah. that person's making to you, you're making a commitment to God, mm-hmm. and that you're great with everybody knowing about it. Yeah. And so if you're great with everybody knowing about it, mm-hmm. the law part, well, let's just do it. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a small obstacle to get around. Because like to have those witnessed around you... Mm-hmm know that this because here's the thing here's the thing that oh I say this every time uh, when I'm performing a wedding like those people who are witnesses there this is where we fall short in North America with marriage those people who are witnesses there are actually to be the people if the marriage is struggling that they do whatever they can to help those people keep that marriage together and we don't do that Right? Those people standing up beside the couple getting married are to be the first people to say, hold on a second, guys. Like, like Hold on a second. Do you know what you promised? Do you know what you did? Don't do this. Don't make these mistakes. And we don't. And so uh, the spiritual side of it, to me, isn't the witnesses. or Sorry, the law side of it isn't the witnesses. It's, it's the paper. The witnesses is the spiritual side of it. That is the spiritual side, where these people are now. You are saying, "I am making an oath to this person, to God, and all of you are witnesses of it." Now, all of you are here to help us make sure this marriage lasts. Does that does that help? Yeah. Thank Great. you. That's right.
1: I was just going to add that in, in the Old Testament, when God makes a covenant with His people, it would be like in the form of a legal treaty that like different nations make together. So it actually hmm. w- was legal. You know what I mean? So, and Great like, point. Since God is over-government, it would make sense to still have... Including government, that's ...under-government, which he has appointed, if that makes sense? Great point. Yeah. yeah, so they're not opposed. Okay. Great point. Um, what would you say in the context of someone, like, let's say you're getting into a relationship and you've been sexually active but your partner hasn't, or your partner has been sexually active and you haven't, how would you go about, like, having encouraging someone to have that conversation
0: in that new relationship and talk about things such as like comparison or jealousy Mm -hmm. or inadequacy Mm -hmm. wow that is a loaded one great question Anna. okay so here's the thing Um, there's no black and white answer to that question because like the person who has been sexually active um, needs to tell the other person who hasn't been That other person deserves the right to know. Now, um, based upon personalities, based upon um, communication, levels of trust, um, one might think it needs to be shared instantly, one might think it might be shared later on. Um, It should never be withheld, though. Uh, Does that make sense? Like, There's timing for it. Um, so, like, not the first time you're like, hey, my name is so and so. Guess what? Right? Like, that's, that's silly. That's where we're highlighting our sin, right? Not highlighting what Jesus has done. Um, but when it gets like, that's where trust has to be established in a relationship to then say, okay, I'm going to share this information with this person. And no matter how they respond, I'm going to respect that person. Um, we need to get to that place. Uh, in our relationships.
1: Um, in a dating relationship, how would you go about determining like how far is too far and like setting up boundaries? Because I know that it's kind of like a line, and each person struggles with different things. So like, mm-hmm. how would you know? Like,
0: Great. Yeah. Great. So um, I think so often we like to get as close to the line. We want to get to that line and teeter just over it, and um, that's a that's a very dangerous place to go to. Very dangerous place to go to. That uh, so for how far is too far? Scripture talks about there's three different types of relationships in the Bible. There's only three. So dating is such a difficult one because the Bible doesn't talk a lot about our North American concept of dating. And we've got to understand, our dating concept is cultural. It's our North American cultural style. Biblical, there's a relationship between a man and a woman, a spouse relationship. There's family, right, those you're related to. And then there's your neighbor. Those are the only three relationships that Scripture talks about. And the only relationship in which that you can be physically connected with at a sexual level is in a married relationship. Not with family and not with neighbors. And so in a dating relationship, they're not family because that would be super weird. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And therefore, they're your... And they're not your spouse yet. So therefore, they're your neighbor. And so you are to treat your neighbor... There's lots what scripture says, how to treat your neighbor. Uh, And it's to do nothing with sexual immorality. And so, well, what's a sexual move? Can I kiss on the lips? Can I use my tongue? Can I go further? Right? Like, these are legit thoughts that we have. So I think if it gets to a sexual emotion, a sexual feeling, a sexual trigger, you've gone too far. Now you're like, well, well, some people are like this, and then some people feel like they can go here, and they haven't hit that sexual line. You're right. So that's why I think we should make a line. Uh, And I think, literally, anything above the knees and closer to the torso than the elbows, uh, you're getting to dangerous territory. And it starts to be able to get into a point where it can be like a sexual-like touch. And is it wrong to touch a shoulder? No, it's not wrong to touch a shoulder or a back. But you know the difference between what is a sexual touch and what is just a touch. And we say, oh, we don't know, but we do know. And sure is it wrong to touch no it's not but why get close to the line where it would be and so uh, there's I've I've done lots of research and study there's some that say like like holding hands isn't even appropriate I wouldn't go that far (laughs) (laughs) holding hands is fine Um, but anything above knees uh, closer to the torso than the elbows prolonged kissing uh, it's a pathway like it's a pathway to something further And it's it's dangerous territory to get there. That would be like Esau, you know, super hungry and just just going like this, like just smelling the soup, like like that's just that's going to be harder to say no to that soup, right? And so, like, yeah. So like, don't wake the beast. Don't wake the sexual beast that is inside each of us. Um, We all have a sex drive. Don't let sex drive. Um, so honestly, uh, I think you should hold off for as long as you possibly can. Uh, until marriage, of course, but like in the physical, like little stuff, holding hands, kissing, like minimize it. Yes, you want it. Yes, you'll long for it. And those are good feelings. And God has an answer to those good feelings. And that's the marriage bed, that's the married relationship. He has it. And sure, it feels like eternity and so far away. It really isn't. And I know that's hard to comprehend and grasp. It is. But can I tell you, the regret proof of it, when you're in that relationship where you don't have that regret, oh my goodness, you sense and you understand true intimacy and longing and God's desire to be near to us better than ever before. So it's so worth it. And if we elevate sexuality to what it really is... That question, how far is too far, we won't even want to tiptoe that line because we want to respect that so, so, so much. Does that help at all? We're, uh, we're over time. Because our next one is starting at three. So let me pray for you guys. Um, if you have any more questions about this and would like to talk, uh, I'm available uh, this weekend until you guys leave. But please talk to your youth leaders. Please talk to your youth pastors. They care about this. If you have Christian parents, ask them about sexuality. Okay? Don't say, I just want a sex talk. <laughs> Nobody ever would. Uh, but <laughs> go to your parents and, and talk about it. Literally, you can count your blessings for it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for this gift that you've given us. The gift that can cure us from loneliness. Uh, That's why you gave it. You gave it so that you reveal yourself to us, your love for your bride, the church. And so I want to pray for each person here in this room, that you continue to reveal um, the true meaning and purpose and reason of sexuality, what sex is. Uh, That they would hold it in high regard, as the word says, a spiritual mystery. It's a sacred thing, that we would put it in that sacred category again. Uh, Lord, I also want to pray uh, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be on every person here, uh, that they would, with full confidence, know uh, that they have the power to withstand from temptation and to stand firm against these things, to have strong character, to even focus on the little things and know that those little things matter, that they would have the strength to resist, and knowing that in those moments um, you are glorified in such profound ways. I pray for protection, for strength, for anointing, Um, and for great accountability, too, in their lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys, so much.